This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. For every movie that graces the silver screen, there is a trailer that gives a preview of coming attractions. It's meant to whet the appetite of the consumer and cause them to lean into the story. Well, on today's podcast, we see a veritable trailer for God's sweeping storyline in pretty specific detail. The truth found in this chapter is a sobering reminder of the efficacy of trusting God and the sheer idiocy of following anyone else. We're looking today in verses 18 through 23 of Isaiah 44. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see, and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads them. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forest and all you trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Isaiah 44 is a glorious passage that teaches us so many incredible truths. With exquisite detail, Isaiah lays out for us the glorious message of the restoration of Israel the futility of serving idols, a practice that incurred the judgment of God, of which Isaiah was predicting, the wisdom of serving God, and the joy of God's redemption from the idolatry in which they had been entrenched. Isaiah begins with the glorious declaration that despite their stupidity and their foolishness, God's chosen people should not fear the judgment that is coming because it will not completely eradicate them. God promises after their sentence to pour water on the thirsty land and pour out his spirit on their offspring. They will not always languish in judgment, but the time is coming where God will pour out his spirit on all men. This prophecy is the vision that Joel spoke of as well, that after the presence of the king and his being cut off, the Lord would pour out his spirit on all men. Peter understood this to have occurred at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. On that same day, some will say, I belong to the Lord. This is the Gentiles who will come to faith, and others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Either way, Isaiah's point is that they should turn from their idols and serve the Lord. Why? Because he is the first and the last. There is no other God but our Lord Jehovah. None is like him. 
He established a covenant with their forefathers, and he will redeem them from their futility in serving idols. He then says, Who is like me? Don't be afraid. He even boasts that none of these gods can say anything, much less foretell what is to come. Then he says, I've been telling you what is to come from the very beginning. Remember all the glorious and the great promises that he made to Abraham when Sarah was as good as dead. He promised her not a son, but many sons, so many you wouldn't be able to count them all. They would be as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. And God had been foretelling them what would happen from the very beginning. He told them they would be in Egypt. He told them how long they would be in Egypt, that he would rescue them with great power. God told Moses what he was going to do every step before he did it. He told Joshua what he was going to do before he did it with them. Now he's doing the same with all these prophets speaking of judgment that was to come. And eventually, through Isaiah, of the child that was to come. Then he contrasts this foreknowledge and prophetic word against the silence of the idols of stone and wood that they are worshiping, which are, according to verse 9, nothing. He then launches into the stupidity of worshiping idols in the first place by saying, look, you warm yourselves, you cook for yourselves, you make idols from the same wood, and then you pray to that wood and ask for help in the day of trouble? How foolish! You have been you have crafted with your own hands, but your hands get tired, and you don't have the strength that you need, and you pray to the wood that you're carving as an idol to give you strength. You plant the seed, but God gives the water for the tree to grow before you cut it down and begin crafting it into an idol, and then you turn around and pray to it as your God. You created it, and you expect it to help you? Then he pleads for Israel to remember that they didn't make him, verse 21, he made them. They are his servants, and he will not forget them. Then what majestic beauty should make their hearts sing. He has swept away all their offenses like a cloud and their sins like the morning mist that is dispelled by the glorious rays of the sun. He ends the chapter with a foreshadowing of that future physical redemption. He calls Cyrus his shepherd who will fulfill his pleasure. He promises to rebuild Jerusalem and her temple. God knew all of this and foretold all of it. Cyrus was a Persian king who would come to power after Babylon carried these Israelites into captivity. The specificity with which God foretold these events should have been enough to cause this person to believe. He's prophesying world events hundreds of years before they occur. I mean, in what universe does a pagan king take it into his heart to send his subjects back to rebuild their temple and then their capital city? But what kind of deity foretells these fantastic events over 200 years before they even happen? Persia wasn't even on the scene at this time. Before those world powers even come into existence, Only Jehovah could predict and direct the future in this way. And it is astounding to think that these Israelites preferred to worship a God that they constructed from the same fire they cooked dinner with, rather than obey the God who could do such incredible deeds executed through other world empires that he raised up for that purpose. Not to mention, predict all of it happening centuries before these incredible events even came to pass. 
But that physical redemption from their captivity and restoration paled in comparison to the faithful servant, the true shepherd that was coming to redeem them spiritually from the idols that their religion and pride had constructed. So what are we to do with such knowledge? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, I think the application is that verse 22, we should return to the one who has redeemed us. Let's be done with our idols, with our proclivities for amusement and entertainment and fame and lust and power and greed and materialism and things, and return to the God that made us, the one that had chosen us, the one that is far above the foolish things that we run after, the one who has redeemed us, repurchased us. We think of the prophet Hosea who found Gomer after her whoredom and paid the ransom to save her from her slavery to those with whom she had been sleeping around. Is not this what God has done for us in redeeming us? What we chase after as our idols, we become enslaved to those things. We have to have more money, more sex, more power, more entertainment, more amusement, more fame. As a result, we are enslaved, and God has come to take our punishment and offered his life as a ransom to repurchase us, to redeem us from these things. When we see our chasing after these idols as the reason for Christ's death, it should move us to forsake them and run with all our might into the lover of our soul's arms, the one who has swept away our offenses. Let us return to him at once. And as we return, let us sing for joy and shout aloud for all that Christ has done to redeem us. He has made us and saved us. What glorious, jubilant worship we should bring. So Jesus, as we come to you today, thank you for redeeming us. Forgive us for the idols of our own heart, of our lust and pride and anger and frustration and amusement and entertainment that we worship every day. Help us to realize that we've been enslaved by them. And most of all, thank you for redeeming us. And may we return to you with joy and jubilation. The God who made us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.